All right. Inappropriate Earl has had a hiatus of sorts, but I want to get this podcast back to my roots of interviewing pro wrestlers and comedians you've never heard of before. And as you know, I've had a lot of NHL hockey players on, you know, Theo Fleury twice. It was a slightly serious uh, interview both times just because of his journey. I've had Nick Kiprios on uh, to talk about the dastardly Tom Wilson. And uh, our guest today might have a Tom Wilson story. Um, and uh, <laughs> great Dustin Penner, who brought his police dog into my condo and it was running around wild. Uh, while Dustin put his bare feet on my dinner table. Uh, <laughs> I played with him briefly. <laughs> that was probably too much. Um, <laughs> and our next guest has been in the NHL. He has an amazing book called Fighter. You know what a notoriously slow reader I am. I read it in a couple weeks, which normally takes me months. Um, I cried two or three times in it, to be completely honest with you. Uh, I've been in a room with this man once before in Winnipeg. We'll get into that later. Please, it's an honor to have this man on to reboot Inappropriate Earl. Mr. Aaron Volpati, thank you. Thanks, Earl, man. It's a pleasure to be here. I'm looking forward to to chatting. Well, your story is so inspiring on uh, so many levels. Just, you know... How you know, as a struggling comic for many years myself, I really embraced your story of uh, even before you got to the NHL. Uh, your your life has been very inspirational, and uh, you know, I hesitated to start with this, but it's how your book was. You know, you got right into your injury. Can you tell us what a carefree uh, young? Uh, viral human gets into a brutal accident just can you take us through that so the fans know what you had to go through yeah yeah man so as you know the book literally starts with me on fire and uh yeah i was i was almost 20 years old i was playing junior hockey in in a small town in canada in bc and you know like many of us at that age I was that guy. I was, I thought I was invincible and untouchable and was always doing stupid shit for, you know, adrenaline attention, feeding that young ego, uh, and, and kind of like living up to that fighter stereotype and what I maybe thought that should embody, I guess, if that makes sense. And with that said, I was also a pyro, you know, again, always doing stupid shit. And the year before, so, you know, in the hockey world, and as you know, and I'm sure some of the other guests have told you, it's a little bit different, I think, these days. But when the season ends, you go on this big bender and you, you have a party. It's like a recap of the year and a send off into the summer. And you're not going to see your teammates, some of them never again, and some of them not until the next season. So, yeah, again, we go, we go have a good time for, you know, extended, extended period of time. And yeah, the year before it had gone off without a hitch where I was basically like blowing up beer bottles full of gas. <laughs> and the next, the next year, um, you know, my, your, your annual pyro show. And I said, well, fuck yeah. And in my head, I'm like, okay, how can I make this bigger and better? Right. And I 
think, well, I need more gas. Again, not smart, but I'm trying to put on this show, right? And two wine bottles. Actually, one was like those OG Colt 45s, <laughs> right? The the old 750 mil or whatever, the big boy. And, and another was a wine bottle. And I filled both of those up with gas. And I was going to blow up in the fire at some point in the party. And I was kind of walking around, getting everyone amped up. Like no service, total bush party up in the mountains. And And, you know, I know I have gas on myself and I know there's a fire there, but I, I didn't really respect the dangers of, uh, of the vapors and, and just that cloud that sort of surrounds you. So maybe five minutes goes by and I'm, I just reek like gas and I'm like, I got to get this fucking sweater off. And I go to throw it in the fire and I, I thought I'd keep a safe distance and kind of give the ground a little kick as I toss it in and, and just like a, I say like a detonator cord to dynamite, this flame just kind of followed me and and up I went. And that was sort of the start of it all, so to speak. And like, like I, when I was reading your book, it, it's very well written because I felt like I was at the camp with you. Like, I, I, what is the first thing your body felt, if you can remember? Like, I can't imagine what being on fire feels like. Yeah, it's, it's such a crazy, almost like out of body experience in a way where like I was never in pain because you're in so much shock, right? So I just remember feeling very warm, but also in a state of panic because it's like, holy shit, I'm on fire. Um, and that fight or flight response really kicks in and I just bolted, like I just sprinted into the woods. Unfortunately, like this was in April, so... There was no snow left, but it was just like dirt and rocks and there was no water, like nothing to put it out. And you can't put out a gas fire unless you smother it or, or douse it. Right. So as I'm running and trying to pat it out and roll around on the ground, it doesn't do anything. The fire just kind of jumps around on you, you know, wow. which I don't obviously know in the moment. Um, but I, and I was pretty quick. So like, guys were chasing me and I I just bolted. So it was the worst thing I could have done in hindsight. But uh, yeah, it was such a, it was such a crazy experience. Like, like I said, out of body. And I remember, you know, after rolling around and, and just, I couldn't, I couldn't get the fire out. At some point, I just remember thinking like, holy shit, like, this could be it. If I don't like, I don't, I've been on fire now for too long. Who knows? Like I had, there's nothing left of my clothes and you know, I'm like, is this it? And then that's when I got tackled from behind finally from the guys. And, you know, they started beating me with their jackets. Um, they, a lot of them even had burns on, on their arms and their hands from getting this thing out. And, uh, yeah. And then I was still in just complete shock in no pain and just remember like looking down at my body, I got situated on a cooler and I just remember like seeing everyone's faces and it was, it was a pretty grim scene, honestly, like some people were crying, some people and the smell, like I'll never forget the smell 
of, of burnt flesh is it's, it's terrible. And, uh, yeah, that's when I knew like this was serious just based on everyone's reactions. And I, I kind of met their gaze and I, I looked down and, and there was just like, it looked like a, a giant candle had been like melted and poured all over me and like lumps of skin. Like we're just, I essentially was just skinning myself. And, um, that's when I knew like, I've really fucked up here and this is pretty serious. Um, but again, we couldn't call nine one one because we're in the middle of nowhere. There's no service. So that, that next, you know, probably 40 minutes was, was, it was hell because once the shock eventually wore off, that pain was, was like nothing I had ever, or probably will ever feel again, you know? So it was a pretty, uh, rough night to say the least. And on the way to the hospital, which I think was a few hours drive, your only protection was the ice, right? It was about 30, it was about 30 minutes. So it wasn't, it wasn't that long, but, um, Sorry, what did you say at the end there? Well, I mean, did they have like ice from, I'm assuming, what the the beer cooler had? Was that your only way to, to ease what, whatever you could? Yeah, so that what's interesting is the doctors in the burn unit later said that uh, that cooler of ice, which I did have on the way to the hospital, saved my right arm and hand. Like, it doesn't look that bad. I have scars, like, kind of just spread throughout, but... That was the first area on my body that I felt a lot of pain. So they gave me the cooler in the driver or in the passenger seat when we're heading to the hospital. Because, like, remember the third degree burns on my torso and my legs, like that's so deep, you can't feel it. The nerve, it's all gone. Like, I still don't have feeling there. Right. So I didn't really know to what degree or how bad that was. I just felt a ton of pain. I mean, eventually everywhere, but mostly on that right arm because it was like a really bad second degree burn. Um, so I had that in a cooler full of ice, both arms, the whole way to the hospital. And thankfully, that that probably saved uh, my right hand and arm. So, And how soon? I mean, I know there's many more important things in life than hockey at that moment. But when did yeah. you start thinking, oh, shit, my hockey career is in jeopardy? Yeah, that came, uh, that was really my first real memory. Like the first few days were pretty foggy. Like I was in a, basically a morphine induced, not a coma, but you know, stayed asleep for, for a couple of days. So I don't remember a ton there. I just remember waking up the next day, really foggy and seeing my mom and dad there. They were very emotional and like, I'm wrapped fully head to toe, like a mummy. And I didn't even know I was in Vancouver because I got airlifted that night when I got to the hospital and in this town of Vernon in Okanagan. Um, And then they must have knocked me out as soon as I ran into to the emergency room. I I always like to say, like, imagine the emergency room, whatever. I can't even remember what day of the week it was, but it's like one or two a.m. And it's like your typical emergency room, you know, maybe have you're a screaming baby. Someone has chest pains. Some guy picked the wrong fight at the bar and he needs a couple zippers or whatever. And, and in comes this guy like ass naked. So I'm totally naked. I got, there's no, nothing left in my clothes screaming at the top of my lungs. 
and like bleeding and just filthy and charred and and all that. And I could just imagine everyone's faces in there probably like, uh, yeah, you you can help this guy. Right. (laughs) Um, and, uh, and that's the last thing I remember. And I just, again, I woke up not knowing where I was, but I was in Vancouver. And besides that, like the first real memory to, to your question was day three. So I, I just come out of this procedure, a debridement procedure, which is, you know, basically where they just essentially skin you alive because those, those uh, third degree burns, the scar builds up so fast and thick that they, they, they have to slough that off. Um, which is, it, it sucks obviously. Uh, but you're, you're not awake for it. So I come out of the anesthetic and the doctor walks into the room and, uh, kind of, he's going to relay my prognosis essentially, because until this point, we didn't know like how bad it was or how burnt I was. Like we knew it was bad. And, uh, you know, he, he just starts talking and says, you know, you're lucky to be alive. Someone was definitely looking out for you. Your face isn't going to be permanently scarred. Um, we're not going to have to graft over your joints, which is a very good thing. But he was like, you're going to be in here for a long time and it's going to be a long, long road. Uh, you will make a full recovery and your 40% second and third degree burns. And we're just going to focus on, on rest and pain management for the foreseeable future kind of thing. So in that moment, I think my parents, you know, took some solace in the fact that I was, I was going to be okay at some point right. in my head, in my head, all I was thinking about was, was a training camp with my team that fall in like in three and a half months. And so you got to remember, like, I wasn't that good at hockey. Like I just snuck into junior A as a fighter right. and so I was just trying to get to the NCAA. Like I had never even thought about pro hockey. So I just thought, man, if I could get a scholarship, division one, division three, I didn't fucking care. I just thought, you know, that would be pretty damn sweet. Right. And, but I had yet to even talk to an NCAA scout. So I had, I was going into my last year of junior hockey eligibility. Um, so this is my last crack at the can to, to try and get that scholarship. And, I asked the doctor this totally bedridden wrapped like a mommy. (laughs) I'm sure he's never been asked that question before. And (laughs) yeah, he just, he just froze, man. And he, and that's, that's when I knew it was over when he, and he just eventually uh, laid that gavel down and said, like, these recoveries take years, not months. You know, you're going to be in here for most of the summer. You're not going to be playing hockey in a few months. And we'll look at getting you in a pair of skates in in a few years in a non-competitive environment kind of thing. So that's, again, you know, I essentially listened to him. I mean, he's the expert and that's when I I kissed that dream goodbye and, you know, was also thankful that I would make a full recovery. So I was trying to really balance these different emotions, you know, for those first few weeks in the burn unit. And like, this is the, first like semi-funny question i'll try and ask uh with good taste of sorts um did you ever happens off limits man yeah yeah but you know uh you know i'm trying to be respectful of your journey but when did you ask um hey doctor will my dick work (laughs) yeah so 
that was uh that was shortly after uh this well you know you're a 19 20 year old guy you got big plans for that thing at that age right <laughs> no i did so yeah right and i uh i remember like that's the next thought i had because my third degree burns they basically surrounded my day so as soon as i asked him this question and i'm like okay hockey's over shit like can i can i have sex again can i have a family one day i mean that was like down the road but i still thought about it um and then i was like fuck is it even there and i got my parents to like i'm like can you lift the blanket up for me like let me get a look at least i i couldn't see much um long story short it was it was burnt but you, i think you know the reason that my right arm and hand was so uh bad was because i think maybe a male natural instinct was i covered that thing right away 100%. um right and so i was like well hey good work brain i guess you, you did that and but the doctor said he's like it'll be fine your balls will be huge for a few weeks which they were like they were the size of softballs man so <laughs> good for you and i uh i have a little uh, this might be tmi for your audience or maybe not but i have a little uh I got a little scar on my, on my sack as, as a little reminder, you're, you're a lucky man. And, you know, obviously, you know, I got kids, so it all, it all worked out fine, but, uh, it was definitely, definitely came up early days of wondering if it was there. <laughs> I mean, that would have been the first question I would have asked. Uh, right. But, right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Is that where you kind of, uh, dove into the visualization field? Because I know, uh, reading your book, you, you kind of envision playing in the NCAA and, um, you know, which everyone in that room is basically telling you it's not happening, but you, uh, yeah. did you get into that? Like I went to a Tony Robbins seminar once and I kind of got into the, the field from the, from that. What got you into visualization? Yeah. Well, I mean, short answer was this injury, right. um, but I really, I really got you know, just thrust into this whole world of, of adversity and the power of the mind and visualization. Uh, but that didn't come until a couple of weeks into my stay there, because again, I had kind of kissed that dream goodbye. And, you know, in life, I think, at least for me, and I maybe resonated with this, but there's always like these signs, right? And there's these little carrots that dangle like, hey, over here, like, listen to me. And I, I had one of those moments, you know, like a fork in the road or epiphany or whatever you want to call it, uh, two weeks into my stay there. And I got a call from my coach in junior and, and he said, you're not going to believe this, but I was just talking to the, one of the coaches from Brown university and they're after a specific, a certain type of player. <laughs> and his, his exact words were we, this is what the Brown coach is telling him. He's like, we want a guy to put the fear of God in the defenseman of the Ivy League. And my coach is like, well, I got the perfect guy for you. There's just, you know, one major problem. You know, he's laid up in the burn unit and it doesn't look very good. Right. So he said, he said, give him a call. They want to talk to you. I know you got the time. Uh, so my parents take down the number because remember, I still can't move. So they like put the phone between my uh, my ear and my shoulder. And, and I talked to this coach from Brown and yeah, it was left like really open-ended and 
he said, you know, we're sorry to hear what happened. We wish you the best in recovery. And, and I remember like, it was almost like a formality. Maybe we'll get to see you play one day down the road, like take care of yourself kind of thing. And I remember my parents hung up the phone and, and just getting really emotional with them in that moment. Like, fuck, I'd worked my whole life to talk to one of these guys and I'd finally done it. And then, and I'm laid up in this burn unit and hockey isn't a possibility anymore. And so that's basically the answer to your question, which, which everyone asks is how did, like, how did you discover visualization? And, and this was how, like, once I made the decision and and that promise to myself that, you know, like I was that close, like I could feel it. And they're telling me I can't play hockey. And I basically started asking why. And there was a really good long list of reasons, right? Like infection was probably the biggest reason. I mean, like I played with open burn wounds for that entire year. Like they they just take a long time to heal. So I I shouldn't have been playing hockey, but you know, I just decided I'll accept that risk. If a, if a, an infection comes, I'll deal with it at the time. And and luckily it didn't, which is really surprising when you have it under hockey gear that's never been washed in in decades, really. <laughs> right? Yeah. Uh, and the skin grafts were going to be too limiting, too painful. I had to wear a full body suit for two years. Uh, I mean, the list just, just went on and on. I couldn't sweat from those grafted areas now. So with heart rate, that can get complicated if you can't cool down. So I just basically said those weren't good enough reasons. And I thought you're telling me it's going to hurt too much. And I, I basically said, fuck that. I, I don't accept that. And that's when, once I made that decision, I, I still couldn't move. Like that was my reality. And so that's when I had, I had heard of visualization and, but I figured, well, this was my mind was my only way out here. And so I started visualizing, you know, everything I wanted, you know, I reframed the relationship with pain and I actually visualized healing like at a cellular level. And I would imagine those burn areas just shrinking and, and healing. And I know that that made a difference in my recovery. I, I truly do. And, you know, I, I would imagine playing in that season opener and, and signing that commitment letter to Brown. And I really like, and I didn't realize this at the moment that, that the superpower that it really unlocked, but I essentially like transported myself out of my current shitty physical reality into this other world, you know, and, and it was, it was like a beautiful escape. It really was. Um, and and you never worried about, like, I know there's a lot of teasing in hockey and like roasting almost of, of each other teammates and, and certainly your opponent, if they find out, like, I'm sure your body at that point, you know, maybe when oh, you man. Uh, maybe when you had your shirt off, like, you know, there was some, uh, I don't know if it's called vain, but like, were you worried about getting teased about your, your scars and burns? I wasn't. No, I think that's, it's easy for me to say with, you know, my face was fine. If, if it wasn't, I, I can't tell you how that would feel. I would imagine it would be different, but, uh, I don't know. There's a lot of, I find a lot of he, um, healing and humor, and maybe you do as well. Absolutely. I, I, I like to think I have a good sense of humor. And, you know, like, I think this, we could have this talk for a long time. And I think 
like a lot of things in the world, it's gone a little bit too far one way in terms of like, forget about hazing and shit like that. That has no place in, in sport or, or life. I don't know. I kind of miss the old days where like the guys had a heyday with me, but I loved it. I thought it was funny. You know, they, they made me a, a burnt, um, a burnt CD with all these, you know, songs like, <laughs> like Johnny Cash, Ring of Fire, Billy Joel. We didn't start the fire. Fuck, there was a, such a good list. And they, they gave me a present when I walked in the room and like, they called me charred wood, you know, but it was all fun, man. Like, I, I don't know, there was a lot of healing in that and just being around the guys and the camaraderie. So for me, I didn't find that at all. I really didn't. Um, I, I actually like, cause I would get some pretty interesting looks from, from younger kids. You know, I could, I couldn't really be in the sun for a couple of years, but once that passed, uh, once I got my bodysuit off, like my scars were still pretty gnarly, like really deep purple everywhere. And so I would get some interesting looks and I, I kind of just had fun, like screwing with the kids and tell them it, it was like a shark attack or or something, you know, and <laughs> scare them a little bit, but I don't know. I always found healing with the humor and, and I, I enjoyed, you know, because my life has been, you know, I guess serious and, and been a bit of a ride, but I don't know that, that humor, I think there's always a place for it and, and, and finding some healing through it too. So. I mean, yeah, well, I was bullied as a kid. So like I, how I do Yeah you know, bullying was with humor. Um, so I can imagine if you have any kind of physical ailment or uh, mental ailment, like some of my friends, uh, you you have to have some, unless you want to fight, uh, you have to have a, a verbal jujitsu of sorts. Yeah, totally. Right. Yeah. I mean, I guess that's a good line of defense as well. I mean, I dealt with some bullying as a kid and my dad, I wasn't like a, a natural fighter, like a physical fighter, I guess you could say, but he always, or, you know, when I got bullied really bad, at, I think I was like about 12 years old. Eventually he said, you know, you're going to have to fight back. And I didn't want to, but, uh, yeah, it's just a different, it was a different time back then too. Right. And there, there comes a point where if, if you don't, I guess, stick up for yourself, whether that be, you know, maybe, maybe verbally humor. I think there's maybe space for a physical side of it. You know, maybe people will disagree with me, but, um, anyways, that, that's a different topic, but, but oh. yeah, no, I, the, luckily I the like my teammates and people were super supportive. They thought I was fucking crazy for doing what I did. And maybe that was part of it, but. <laughs> because there's also a mental side of the role you fulfilled in hockey of you're the tough yeah. guy and i know when i mean i grew up watching hockey in the 80s when it was like each team had like three or four tough guys i mean well that was even different yeah it's wild wild west there yeah and i think the the attitude was uh, if you don't fight we got 10 guys who will so right do it or find another line of work um right yeah so, yeah uh yeah. Was that an added pressure of like I'm not physically um able to do this, but I have to anyway? Yeah, I think that I think I had some 
maybe predisposed level of, of grit, I guess you could say with, with how I was raised and my dad and, and that role I already had, you know, me versus maybe someone else. Yeah, sure. Maybe that was a different level of, like I said, predisposed grit, but um, yeah, it's, it's just so interesting that that mindset, it served me well at that time, but it, it, it was tough after hockey and, and, you know, you've read the book, but I didn't know how to deal with like the emotional and, and spiritual type of adversity because you don't even know what that is as a 19 year old <laughs> really. Right. right. And so, so I had that mindset and all this shit after hockey. I mean, we're jumping ahead here, but you know, like that loss of identity for me, when my career ended from this neck injury and I was going through a divorce, my dad was sick. I was just fucking lost. And I, you know, I was depressed. I hit rock bottom and I couldn't fight. I couldn't fight that. I didn't know how, right? Like I couldn't punch it in the face and it was really hard. And, but I, once I finally reached out for help uh, and talked to someone, then I, I started learning that, you know, on the outside, I was this fucking tough NHL fighter, you know, in the NHL. But like on the inside, I was just kind of this immature little boy in, in an emotional and spiritual sense. And once I realized that, then and I went back to my visualization practice that had served me. Again, we're like jumping ahead about Brown and the NHL, but uh, once I went back to that, like my life totally changed again, as you've read. And like, that's why I'm so passionate with the visualization and what I do now, because it not only like got me out of the burn unit to come back and play hockey and, and got me to Brown and later like propelled me to the NHL when I had still never even thought about pro hockey until 24 years old. But it also saved my life in, in a really dark time after hockey. Uh, and that's, you know, even maybe the most important part of it all, really. So when you get to Brown and you realize it's your job to do the double homicide type hits. Uh, but, but you, you couldn't fight at Brown, though. So that was more like later in the American League. Because you can't fight in college. Right. You're not. Um, but. Yeah, there were uh, there were some injuries. Let's just say that <laughs> at Brown, like because I was I was 25 when I graduated, and you know I was a lot bigger than I am now. You know, probably 215 pounds playing against these 18 year olds. Uh, there were there were some pretty bad injuries. Let's let's just say that. And I, I never advocate for you know hurting anyone, but I had that the mindset of like get your head up or get out of my way. Cause I'm going here kind of thing. Right. Um, but, but jumping, at, I think maybe jumping ahead to maybe, uh, sorry if I cut you off there, but no, no. Like when I first, when I first got to Brown, like I still had never even thought about pro hockey because like I had achieved my dream. I never thought there was anything after that. And when you go through an injury, like, like this burn injury, your perspective on life changes. And I, I just went and had a, I just had a blast, you know, I soaked up the U S college experience and, you know, I worked my ass off on the ice, but you know, I played third, fourth line and away from the rink. I just, I partied, I had fun, 
you know, I was taking pre-med and figured I'd go be a doctor or stay involved in sports science or something like that. Never, never pro hockey. And, and that all changed uh, after my junior year and my, my coach came up to me and he's like, Hey, uh, you ever thought about pro hockey? Like, I think you should maybe consider it because you, you can hit, you can skate. I know you can fight just if you worked on your game, like you never know. Wow. And, uh, and that stuck with me. Yeah. And then when's the first time you thought, cause I know your coach had said, Hey, there's some teams looking at you like, you know, uh, when did, and I know that I think you said there was 10 teams that were, you know, going, Hey, you know, we, every NHL, AHL team, even ECHL team at that time hmm. needs a, not that you were an enforcer. I mean, you were a Tom Wilson type. You like you hit, you fought, scored a few. Uh, yeah. When did you think, man, I, I could do this? Well, yeah, that, that actually came even before teams have had kind of started approaching me because my coach, you know, he saw something there and he thought, again, if you worked on your game, I really think you could, you could make a, you know, a push at this. And so like that whole summer, and I went back to that visualization practice, which I had actually abandoned my first three years. Cause I was young and naive and didn't think, you know, what else could I do? <laughs> right. Uh, but that just drove my obsession. And I just, once I made that decision after this talk that I was going to go play in the NHL, cause I figured, well, that seems easier than what I had done previously with the burn injury. Right. And, uh, yeah. The, and I went back to the practice of, of visualization and this mind movie and I just became obsessed and, and I trained like, like no one probably had ever trained really. And, um, and it just, it catapulted me that senior year. I, I just exploded with, my last year and had a really good year and teams started talking to me pretty early into that year. And, uh, and yeah, by the end of the year, I had about 10 teams. Like, I think there was like eight contract offers and a bunch of teams that were still interested. And I mean, like it, it literally came out of nowhere. Uh, except for me, like I had been seen, I had seen it so clearly in my head, but you know, like my parents didn't believe me when I told them, which is funny, kind of a funny ending. <laughs> But and it, what, yeah, it, it like Vancouver slash Manitoba, uh, that must have been an easier decision because, you know, Vancouver, you were relatively close to. I mean, not that I mean, Winnipeg's I don't think people realize how isolated that place is. Uh, yeah. Um, was that a pretty easy decision when it came down to it? Yeah, it was uh, for a few reasons. Number one, they were the first team to really show interest, like really early on. Uh, they offered me a lot more money by far. So for me, like I had negative money. My parents don't come from money. I was in debt. So I figured, well, that doesn't hurt, you know. Right. Uh, so it, it was really hard to say, say no to like, you know, some other close ones were like Edmonton, New York. But the money was just, it wasn't the same. And, you know, looking back, I might have had a more opportunity to jump in right away with like Edmonton, say, but just playing for your home province team with a good chunk of cash, it was pretty much a no brainer, really. Now, did you look at the rosters and like when, when you were trying to choose like between Edmonton, like, hey, who has 
the fewest tough, not that you were just a tough guy, but like who has the fewest guys in my type of player range? Yeah. Yeah. We definitely looked at it. And, you know, I would say like, arguably in that sense, Vancouver might not have been the best fit, but, but again, they were, they saw me in their plans. They, they did say like, you're probably not going to start here. You're going to start for the AHL team in Winnipeg for the moose. Um, but again, like I didn't know how long this pro career was going to last. Is it going to be like two years, five years, 10 years? So um, again, just to have that opportunity with the home team and, and have some cash in the bank, it, right. it was a pretty easy decision. So, and when you say cash, we don't have to get into the exact uh, you know amount, but I mean, I'm Jewish, so I would like to get to any, uh, <laughs> but I mean, it's probably more cash than you've ever seen in your life in terms of like, it's almost like winning oh. the lottery. Man. Yeah. Like, you know, when I told them and I told my parents what they were going to pay me, now, this is if I played in the NHL and it, the minimum back then was like 500 or 550, I think a year. Right. And, you know, for me, that's, that's like unthinkable at that time. And my dad's like, you know, he worked for the, the railway and made 60 grand a year. And he's like, you know, it takes me like decades to make that kind of money. And, right. you know, so, so for us growing up in, in a little trailer in a small town, like, Again, money's not everything, but to give to give some security when when again we we didn't have any, I had nothing. Then it that definitely played some factor for sure. Now, when you get uh, to Manitoba, you know, I know you said uh, a few of your line mates, the great Mike Keene, who uh, oh yeah, Keener is a beauty. I just saw him like a month ago in Penticton, of all places. They had like their young stars rookie tournament. Right. Yeah, Keener was my first ever line mate in pro. And uh, Rick Rippon, I believe. Uh, yeah, Rip. Yeah. Um, and I know he, he meant a lot to a lot of people. Um, yeah, man. He he was such a such an awesome dude. Toughest dude, pound for pound, I have ever played. I think I most guys would tell you that, too. I mean, because I want to get kind of in, into the mindset of a, an enforcer. Um, like we talked about a few minutes ago, it, it's like, hey, either do it or even in your era, we might not have 10 guys anymore who'll do it, but we've got a few. Um, yeah. Yeah. It was more like two or three to, instead of six or seven. <laughs> I mean, right? The 80s were out of control. I mean, it was. Oh, like, yeah, man. I think the Penguins had a guy by the name of uh, Jay Caulfield who. Uh, yeah. He wore the linebacker brace when he played. I think he started skating at 16, but he was so big. <laughs> just do what you can. Uh, oh, man. Those guys are another weight class. Yeah, some of those guys from those eras. Yeah. But even in your class, I mean, like Rippon was, he certainly wasn't a small guy, but, um, you know, it was like he could walk around and go, oh, that guy's not a pro athlete from the standpoint of his height and weight. Um, right. Or, you know, you got guys like Derek Bugard coming in and uh yeah, yeah. McIntyre and uh you know Yeah, those guys were huge, man. Huge. Yeah, and I know you said yeah. it that you weren't really expected to fight those guys. Uh no. But you know, was there ever a situation? Uh I'm reminded of the story, uh Dennis Bonby, who's a minor league uh Yeah, I know of him. Uh 
he said uh, it wasn't his first fight, but it was his first fight with the Edmonton Oilers. And he lined up mm-hmm. next to Bob Probert. And he just looked at him and said, you're either going to make me or you're going to break me. And uh, <laughs> Probert <laughs> killed him, of course. So uh, did right. you line up yeah. against someone like that, like someone who was so much bigger than you? And, and I know you said you, uh, you've had a few fights with guys who were like much bigger than you. Like how scary yeah. for that? Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, most, I guess most notably was I lined up, I remember it was like my sixth game in the NHL. And, you know, at that time, like I'm just running around trying to kill everyone, just trying to stay in the league. And I lined up again uh, next to Steve McIntyre. And, you know, like you see these guys on TV and then you line up next to them. Like I played at six one two oh five, maybe, you know, what he's like fuck, he, he must be 260 minimum yeah like, I think he's, he's, a, uh, he's a giant six five six six about 260 yeah he's giant and i just remember he said hey kid you better stop that or else i'm gonna fucking beat the shit out of you and like <laughs> i knew i i'm not gonna square off against that guy like you know what i might in the moment uh getting a little tussle where I can like just grab him in tight and, and, you know, not let him string me out. But if you square off with those guys, you, you can get in pretty big trouble, you know, cause they can just keep you out. Uh, so I just remember I responded and I was like, yes, Mr. McIntyre. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> but yeah, like I, I never squared off against those, those kinds of guys. The, the biggest heavyweight I did fight, this was actually in the minors, was probably Wade Brookbank, uh, who I used to watch with the Canucks, right? And so it was, it's funny, like, I always, I rarely lost a fight if it was like a spur of the moment and I'm like genuinely pissed off and, you know, we just drop our gloves and we go. I can't really remember one of those fights that I lost, but squaring off especially with the big guys, it was so hard because I just, and then it becomes routine too, where I'm like, I'm not even mad. I'm how am I going to get into this? And you're talking about some of these guys that if they hit you the wrong way, you're going to be asleep pretty quick. Right. So that was, that was, that was tricky for sure. But, but with Wade Brookbank, it was funny. Like he was in Rockford. I think this was my like third or fourth pro game. I, I, I was playing for the moose come to the net and he, he whacked me and I whacked him back. And next thing you know, we go and I did really well. And I switched to my lefts and he kind of fell as I hit him on the way down, but I didn't know who it was because when you're a rookie, like I was just oblivious. I didn't know who anyone was. Right. And we're skating to the bench and he's in front of me and I'm like, Holy fuck, that was Brookbank. Like I'll take that win. And he was livid and he was just yelling at me like, we're going again you little fucking rookie and I'm going to beat you up. And and I just remember sitting in the box and I was like, no, I'm good. I'll take that win all day, man. Thanks. And, uh, (laughs) he, he chased me around all year, man. And I would have been better off probably just fighting him again and getting it over with. Cause I think the behind the play cheap shots and stuff, which, Hey, rightfully. So I'd do the same thing. And he wanted redemption, but yeah, squaring off against those guys that were 40, 50 pounds heavier, like, yeah, I don't know. There's not a lot of, not to say that I wouldn't, you know, I just never really planned on it, I guess, if that makes sense. 
Oh, no. I mean, well, is there an unwritten rule that like, you know, the heavy and there's not many heavyweights certainly anymore in the league now. Uh, but like he fought Ryan Reeves, like he's a pretty yeah. big, uh, you know, he's uh, he's a pretty big guy still. Uh, like yeah, that, totally. Like the heavyweights, the, I, I guess you'd be a middleweight, even though to me, 205 is pretty, pretty heavy. Uh, you know. Yeah, but I think even even Revo, I mean, he's a big dude, but he's not like the guys back in the from the 80s to even 2010 kind of thing where, you know, like the 6'5", 240, 250, you know, he's a big dude, but he's not that big. No, um, I mean, the, uh, I mean, I, I do miss the, you know, I'm 55. So like I, I started watching, you know, the Rangers when. You, you know, everyone, it was like an arms race where you had the Flyers, you know, they won their cups, how they did it, basically yeah. Yeah. shit out of people. Um, yeah. The Islanders, so, well, we'll get more tough guys than you have. And then the Rangers, well, we need to keep up with those. I mean, it yeah. was really uh, a nuclear arms race. Uh, and now with, I mean, I think now in juniors, they don't even let you fight anymore. Um, well, in Quebec, I know the Quebec League got rid of it. Yeah, and there was some, <laughs> you know what? you know, fighters from the Quebec. Oh, it's like, there's some tough, tough dudes that come out of there for sure. George LaRoy. I don't know. It's such an interesting time with, with hockey because of this, the fighting and the problem I think with that, like I'm, I'm pro fight. I'm, I'm pro get rid of the stage square off bullshit. I don't think that needs to necessarily be there, but I, you know, there's definitely a place for like, Hey, this guy took a cheap shot at my guy. You can't do that. Otherwise you're going to have to answer the bell. Or, you know, if you get two guys that are just, you get heated and you don't want guys start swinging sticks at each other. Let them fucking have a fight and get it over with. Right. So, and it's the, the NHL, like you're seeing it. I think fighting was up big time last year and even into the start of this year already. So I don't think it's going anywhere. And I think, you know, we're even maybe seeing a, a revival of it a little bit. Now the problem when the, when the junior leagues start doing this and it's not even just about fighting, it's just the way the game's played. Like, I'll tell you what, I go watch junior hockey here and it's a fucking snooze fest and no one touches each other and it's all skill. It's good hockey, but it's, I don't know. It's kind of boring. And yeah, the problem is these kids are going to turn pro some of them and they're going to be like, what did I get myself into? I've never experienced these guys trying to kill me. So I don't know. Like, I think that's a problem because I don't think the pro game is going to get rid of that anytime soon. <laughs> right. It's still a mean game. It's an intimidating game. And if you don't have that leading up to it, you're going to be screwed. Right. Well, I mean, there was an incident. Uh, do you watch a lot of NHL hockey? I mean, like. I don't. I've gotten back into it because my oldest son, he's almost eight and he's totally like into it now. So like we don't we don't even have cable, but I usually get the NHL package and we watch some games and, and all that fun stuff. So I watch a little bit now. Well, there was an incident in a preseason game for the Kings, which actually reminded me of you. It was the day I finished your book. I turned on the TV and there's the Kings and the Golden Knights. Uh and the Golden Knights had dressed their A team, basically. Um uh, and the Kings oh, was, was this the hit? Yeah, yeah. And yeah, I, yeah. 
as soon as Haley Hodgkin, uh, and you could tell he was like you in Manitoba, like, you know, you're trying to make the team, you're trying to make an impression. Right. And he runs yeah. Mark Stone. Uh, and there were so many interesting side stories. Uh, and I, the whole time I'm thinking of you because. That was me. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sure Mark Stone is like, hey, kid, I'm just trying to get loose for the season. Uh, I'm sure Hodgkin's like, hey, man, uh, I'm trying to make the team, not even the Kings, but, you know, uh, right. And then Stone went after the Kings youngest prospect, uh, Brant Clark, who's like uh, the heir apparent to Drew Doughty, I guess. Uh, And I feel so bad for Clark because the camera was on his face and he looked petrified <laughs> and I'm sure he's a, t- he's a tough guy. I'm sure, you know, yeah. he looked like he was shit. Pants. Like, do you think yeah. like, I know, did you see that game or no? No, I see all the high, I saw the highlight of that hit though. So did you see yourself in the, the Kings player going, you would have done that to stone too. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I had issues with that whole thing, man. I don't know. I felt differently about stone after, to be honest. Uh, I don't have any problems like on the ice. You want to go after and I don't like go for it. Like, that's fine. I had more of an issue with the interview after like, come on, man. Like really? Like that's, you're going to say that to this kid. I mean, think about yourself in his situation and you'd run your ass over too. Right. Like you had your head up your ass. It was a really good hit. Just fucking take it like a man and, and, or laugh it off, you know, like, Hey, good hit kid. Like I'll, I'll remember that for next time we see each other. Like, Hey, great. Not like you're a piece of shit. You'll never play in this league again. I don't know. I think there's no room for that. I I didn't, I didn't like that interview, but Hey man, I, uh, yeah, whatever to each their own, but I would have fucking ran his ass over just like that. I just felt bad. For and yeah, I'm, I'm not going to have the career he's going to going to have, but I don't know. You got to understand that guys are trying to, it's, it's preseason, man. What do you expect? Yeah. You know? I, don't, I had issues with the interview, but. Yeah. I mean, was that something maybe he, if he said that to the kid on the ice, like, Hey, I'll never play against you again. You know, totally. Yeah. That's fine. Yeah. Guys chirp. You guys talk about their girlfriends and their moms all the time. Like, or what, like, you know what, that's just part of the game. Like there's an art to that and whatever. I think that's fine. Don't do it in the media. That's just like chicken shit coward to me, but. Well, let's, uh, I know you have a family, so I, I don't want to wrap it up, but I want to like, um, <laughs> no, no I mean, good, I appreciate I mean, you have a, uh, you have a family that I could talk to you all day, but I'm a lone wolf. So, um, you had some nice fights yourself. Let's get the focus back on you. Like I was watching a fight with you in Winchester where you, uh, yeah, yeah. That's how I made it to the NHL. So, so I guess to dial it back, like I, I, I had my cup of coffee my first year, but when, when we lost to the Bruins in the finals and, uh, the consensus was that we like got pushed around by the Bruins. Right. So I had a major opportunity going into that next year. And I, I mean, I kind of thought like I had that spot solidified, which you never do. There's always competition in camp, but I fuck. I remember when they, the Canucks brought in like Todd Fedork, Owen Nolan, all these big heavyweights, Jim Vandermeer, 
And then we had myself and like three or four other guys that were fighters. There was like eight guys going for one spot. So I was like, shit, there's some major competition here. Uh, like I got to have a good camp. And that's the sole reason I made the team was that game in San Jose, because that was another uh, double homicide game. <laughs> I know you, you where earlier in the game, I, I caught Demers cutting in front of the net and I just laid him out and he was hurt. He left the game. So Winchester, you know, he challenged me later in the game. And so of course I said, yeah, let's go. And he's a pretty big dude, tough dude, but I still don't know why he did it, but he, he kind of came at me with both hands like this. Right. And he, he kind of caught me off guard. And if, if you watch the video, I kind of was like, what the fuck is this guy doing? And I, he, he missed the grab. And cause I went like this and just fucking, I came over the top and hit him right there. And he was, he was pretty out of it. And I remember going down the tunnel after the game and Stan Smeal who recruited me, or was a big part of recruiting me to Vancouver. He kind of gave me like a wink, like, like welcome to the team. Like that was nail in the coffin. And then, uh, yeah, they released the other guys and and I was on the team to start the year. So that's, that game was pretty much, you know, my welcome to the NHL full time now. Right. So yeah, it was pretty, pretty cool full time. I mean, I used to hate Stan Schmiel as a kid. Cause he was, he was such a bully against the Kings, but, uh, yeah, <laughs> He was a, uh, that must have been cool as a fighter uh, to have one of the great all time agitators uh, give you like the good job, kid. Yeah, it was cool, man. It was a fun time for sure. Now, you held up on Winchester because you could have whopped him again. Uh, well, he was down, yeah. But is there something to just click? Like, don't, like, were you, were you tempted a little bit? Hey, I want to really make my mark. I could hit him again. Well, I, yeah, like, I think if you watch the video, like I got the chainsaw going again and, uh-huh. but he was on his, he was on his knees. So there's a code there. Right. Um, with, he would have been standing still different story. Now, when you skate off the ice is, uh, do the shark bench chirpy a little bit? Like, you know, like they had Murray on the team, I believe as way. And he's a fucking giant. I fought him later that, that year that he, he was held your own. Yeah. I remember when the refs came in and he hit me when they were in. Yeah. I don't think I, I don't think I've hit, been hit that hard in my career and he hit me on the helmet and I still, my knees still went out and I kind of like fell, but I got back up. <laughs> He's a big boy, man. Yeah. But right before that, you got him good. Like you, I think it was, yeah, like, I caught him once. Uh, now did you know, does he say anything to you? Like, did you guys uh, have any words before, after, or during the fight? If you can remember, who win? Win? Yeah, no, um, Murray. I no, I just remember. So usually, most of my fights were because I laid someone out with a hit, right? So I earlier in that game, I think I crushed uh, Matt Irwin. Questionable hit on my feet a little bit, but I laid him out pretty good. And then I remember Murray came at me and he tried to take my head off. And luckily I ducked. And right. then I actually went at him because, you know, I figured it was a bit of a cheap attempted cheap shot. And uh, he's a big boy, man. Yeah, no, he's. Uh... Yeah. But the, I don't think after that, there wasn't much said. No, it was kind of. But again, that's like. That's where fighting has a place in the game. You know, I take a, a run at one of their guys, borderline hit. He comes to try and take my head off. I thought it was 
a cheap play and and I went at him and it was done wrapped up done deal like let's go on and play now kind of thing now right. i know in your book you said uh because i just you're you you seem to have faced adversity at every step in your life like you know yeah i'm allergic to i say i'm allergic to the easy way in things yeah you are like a, a bad guy in a, a bond movie it's like how much bad luck can this guy find and like but you persevere through it all like yeah. I know you said that you weren't pleased with, you know, how Vancouver, you know, maybe handled your exit. Like the coach could have been a little more forthcoming. Yeah. Um, but most guys would have been like, that's it. I'm done. But then you you go to Washington and, and uh, you know, you end up playing with Ovechkin for a few games, like on his line. That and and, and Well, yeah. it wasn't a few games. It was like two shifts. I was overbellished. It did. It did happen. It did happen. I think he got. I think I probably dumped it in, and he got back to the bench. He's like, "Hey, get this fighter off our line, man." <laughs> but I mean, that's like still. It shows your perseverance. Of you know, I'm sure you you felt. Oh man, it's just the end of the line for me. Uh, you know, why, yeah. why are they bringing in Fedoric and? And Noah Nolan and all these Vandermeer was a very, very tough dude. Uh, you know, yeah. you go to Washington and even then there's pressure probably because they had Tom Wilson there and, and other, I think maybe John Erskine was there when you were there or no? Yeah, Erskine was there, yeah. And he's a tough yeah. He was a monster. Oh, he, he was a great guy too. Just a beauty. Yeah, he was there. Willie was like in his rookie year. I can't remember if it was the same year, if it was the next year, but yeah, he was a young rookie. Um, yeah, I don't, I, I honestly, I love wash. It was a, it was a really good and it's, it's like really everything in my life. You know, we, you can call it bad luck or bad fortune or whatever, but all of that shit has led to such amazing things. And I think that's, that can be true in, in life really. Right. Where, it's not going to seem like it in the moment when you're in the shit. But now I know that, you know, when the, those things happen again, that at some point I will look back and be thankful for those times because those times have given me so much. And I, by those times, I mean like some really fucking dark shit, you know? Yeah. Um, and it definitely doesn't, doesn't seem like it in the moment. But, you know, I'm not here today the career I have today and then the family I have today, like none of that happens without any of the things that have happened in my life. Right. Like even with even my, my career, oh, go ahead. like my career, career ending neck injury, like that's not what I wanted to happen. But then, you know, I don't have my son and you know what I mean? Because that, that timeline wouldn't have lined up. And then I don't, you know, that didn't work out with my, my ex-wife and, you know, yeah, again, like, do you plan on that in the moment? No. And then, but all of it's led to, to where I am now. Right. And I just, it's, again, you can look back when you, when you get there, but what if you don't get there, then you'll never kind of have that realization. Right. But even it, like, like you mentioned your ex-wife, like the birth of your first child was like, so trauma inducing and like, yeah, when yeah. I was reading that, I was like, Jesus Christ, like, I don't know if I'd ever want to meet this guy. I get hit in the head with a boulder. Uh, <laughs> you know, almost losing your first wife 
you know, and, yeah, man, you know, the, the premature and everything worked out, which is great for she's healthy and, and your baby, I'm eight years old, like he's a monster now, I'm sure, like, uh, in a good way. Yeah, no, he's uh, oh, absolutely no, yeah. But you know what's so so I have I joke around with this too, and and this is really like it's kind of like the ending of the book that never happened. But I have a newborn now, and as you know, uh, that that's been a journey, um, you know, with my wife and I now, and it's it's been a long road to get here uh, with our newborn. And she, believe it or not, she had similar complications, and I'm like, fuck, like do I have like killer sperm? Like what? Maybe, Hey, maybe I, I the burn did some damage there. <laughs> I don't know. Like but, a, uh, like the incredible I, with gamma radiation. <laughs> yeah. So uh, I joke now, like, Hey, all you women, like, you know, you, you want to have a baby. That's cool. I might kill you, but we can do it. <laughs> no, I mean, uh, I, I was but, just, like so blown away at like, you know, really from the first pages of your book to the end. And then, you know, with the, you know, AL, ALS uh, diagnosis of your dad, it's like, this guy can't t- catch a break. Um, and you're still... Yeah. And some, yeah. sometimes it seems like that, yeah. But again, like, the my dad's, it's a tough one because I, I have a hard time uh, believing that there's any good that could come from it. Do you know what I mean? Um, because we are so close and, and it doesn't seem fair. Uh, but I don't know. I, I have this, like, I guess, innate trust that, you know, I might get emotional talking about it, but yeah, that, that, that hopefully I can look back one day and, and, you know, maybe there was a reason as, as shitty as it is because he's such a good man and we're, we're like brothers, you know, uh, He's not, you know, he's 60, 61. So he's not very old. And um, yeah, yeah, I don't know what else to say on that, but. No, no, we don't have to like, I just. No, yeah, all good. So um, again, like all this, like you're right. At times it it seems like I can't catch a break. I've felt that before too, but I I think, you know, having gone through so much, (laughs) you know, I'm not even 40 yet. I feel like I've lived like eight lives uh get new gray hairs every day it seems like but uh yeah i don't know like now i i think it's all served me really well because i know when that shit happens again that i have trust that you know it will lead to something even greater you know what i mean and and i think that's why it serves such a powerful purpose for me and so my dad is is the one tough one i i really have a hard time with finding that but I have some level of trust there that, uh, that there's something and I don't know what it is yet, but I'm sure if anyone can find it, it's going to be you. So on a happier note, um, <laughs> tell us about where people can sign up for your visualization program. Cause I mean, if it, and please read the book fighter, it's, um, it's really an amazing, it's not a hockey book. It's a life book. Like it's, it's, yeah it's a lot of people have said that like it's i've read all the other guys books um the hockey guys and it's really it's just different and i think that's maybe why people have have enjoyed it it's it's, hockey is a small part of it really yeah i mean it's really um 
there's some good stories in there too, but uh, yeah, I know yeah, it's 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 a life book, I guess, more or less. It's not all doom and gloom for those of you going. I don't want to read a book about this. Yeah. Guy, uh, almost burning alive, and then uh, oh, there's some funny, like I don't know, like I, I played it. Good party stories. Good party stories. Yeah. Like, I, I don't know. I think I just, you know, maybe live in the fast lane. I just do everything at a hundred percent and that included, you know, having a good time. And obviously that changed a little bit with the burn, but um, I don't know. I talk about when I played a, an NHL game, you know, drunk, that was an interesting one. Uh, <laughs> you didn't think uh, who was didn't mean to didn't mean to because who but, was supposed to play and then they couldn't, I forget the, yeah. Play. Um, Mason Raymond, I think. Right. And then they call you up as you're having a burger and uh, a couple of beers. Um, I must have been on my sixth or seventh beer by that time. Yeah. And yeah, the uh, coach called me. He said they fucked up the paperwork you got to play. And I'm with my buddy, I remember. And I'm like, um, I can't, well, I can't say no. Right. <laughs> and you said, I scored that. that. I scored that game. Well, once again, your perseverance. Uh, yeah, I remember from that day on, I always debated having a burger and a beer for pregame, but I never did it. And i that's one regret I have. I was like, maybe I was on to something there. Well, I have to say, before we get into your program, uh, I first became aware of you when I was doing stand-up comedy in Winnipeg. And uh, Right. I Wait, was, so have we met? No, we didn't. Well, I, I was... Oh, okay. I was opening up for Rob Schneider and uh, right. Rob knows everybody, billionaires, uh, you know, homeless people like uh, princesses and, and anything in between. And he had a billionaire friend who had a suite at the Winnipeg arena. And I so, didn't know billionaires lived in Winnipeg. I, well, Morris does. Uh, <laughs> and so he says to me, hey, you're a big hockey fan. Do you want to sit in my other seats? I'm like, a suite's not good enough for you? Uh, he's like, no, you can sit down on the glass. And I remember being on the glass, and I see you and Anthony Peluso. Uh, oh, fuck, you were at that game, yeah, yeah. And I've seen hundreds of fights live. Uh, I used to collect hockey fight DVDs and VHS tapes, and I've never seen or heard a fight where you guys – it was like Rocky hitting the meat in the, in the freezer. Like I heard the punches hitting. Um, you mean you heard his fist hitting my head? Well, I was trying to make it better for you. You got in a shot or two, to be honest. Yeah, I got in a shot or two, but that was my first game with the Caps. Right. Did you know that? Yeah. And so I'm like, well, I better, you know, better get in a fight with someone. He was a tough dude, man. Real tough. He was, he was like borderline kind of next weight class. Big right. dude. Um, but that's the thing, like th those square off fights, I just, they were harder, especially with the bigger guys. So, but I technically won that fight. You know that, right? Um, I mean, uh, but I'll tell you why I'll tell you why. Please do. Because so I go, I had to get about 25 stitches in the back of my head because my helmet was off and he just wailed away and I was cut everywhere. So I go in, I'm bleeding everywhere. And, and remember, all the trainers from the Moose moved up with the Jets, right? So I know all these guys. We used to, you know, I played there for almost half a year. And so he walks in, he's like, what the fuck are you doing fighting that guy? 
And I was like, yeah, whatever. Like, you know, just trying to make a name. It didn't go that well. Maybe I'll get him next time kind of thing. And uh, the doctor comes in, starts stitching up my head. And he's like, you know, he broke your broke his hand over your head. And I'm <laughs> like, well, that means I won. the. I technically won. I came back. He didn't. So <laughs> I think. <laughs> well, I've often yeah. wondered this. Uh, you know, in L.A., there was a when the games were at the forum, there was a basically a nightclub in the arena called the Forum Club. and. Uh, I remember yeah. one, one night, it was, who was it? It was Quebec and the Kings and uh, Gord Donnelly, uh, legendary mid-80s enforcer, and, and Jay Miller had fought. And yeah. So after the game, they were drinking beers with each other. And it, it just blew my mind that on the ice, yeah, yeah. they hated each other. If <laughs> yeah. you're at the supermarket tonight, getting stuff for your family, and you see Anthony Peluso walk in, do you guys have a laugh? give a wink or or a hey, fu man yeah it's never an fu really it's it's usually like you said it's a beer at the bar i've had that you know where you get in a fight with the guy and the team's staying over that night and you're at the bar or wherever and you see the guy and you kind of usually it's kind of just like a cheers right a good good fight seeing the next one maybe um i remember fighting uh one of my buddies he was on Dallas and we played at Brown together and he, uh, we both had nice shiners and we were at the bar having a beer after, but yeah, I don't, it's just part of the role I think. Right. And I think there's always, there's always respect there. Sure. So it's never, it's never an FU when you're, if you see him out or whatever, it's always, there's always respect. And um, yeah, just, I don't know. Yeah, there's, there's that, that level of, I guess, brotherhood in a way where you you both, you know, take on that role and you know it's hard. And I think there's, uh, yeah, some the innate level of respect that comes with that. The only other fight I want to ask you about, because uh, it kind of goes with this line of questioning. Um, I'm sure you don't like everyone you play against or fight, but there was a fight you had with Steve Downey. I was wondering if that's the one you were going to ask. Yeah. Well, it looked like you were almost disappointed. You let go because you could have probably kept going. And I know you cut them and uh, the fight. Of course, the fans were booing when you showed mercy. <laughs> um, you know. Yeah. Uh, that's that's. Did you not? Sorry, like you... Uh, I thought he was a bit of a dirty player. Right. Um, I didn't know, like I, I, he's gone through some shit in his life. Um, so I don't judge him as a person. I just think as a player, he was dirty. And I, I don't think he would have let up on me if it was reversed. Wow. So, so that's where, you know, I look back, I'm like, fuck, I should have just kept hitting him. Um, <laughs> but I didn't, you know? And so they, I think they slow motion that one. Like I was always, I, that served me well, that, that slip move where I, I, cause, because I, I punch and I pull in at the same time and caught him pretty good. Like, I don't think he broke his orbital bone, but his eye was pretty fucked. And, um, I remember he was screaming like, stop, I can't see stop. Right. And, and I was yelling, I was yelling at him like, well, go down then or I'm going to hit you again. And, and I didn't. And then the refs came in, but I don't know. Like I, I like to think I, I had that respect level, sure. but, um, yeah, I, I look back and I'm like, I don't know if he would have let up on me and, and maybe I shouldn't have, but 
yeah, I mean, it, it, it was what it was. Well, because he was, uh, I believe, hearing impaired. So he probably didn't even hear you say go down. Yeah, maybe. Uh, yeah. Yeah, but it's it's just in the moment. But sure. yeah, in hindsight, would I have hit him again? I might have. <laughs> <laughs> Let's end on a laugh. But you yeah. now teach a course. It's an online course. Uh, I'm even thinking of signing up for it because uh, the world of comedy is a lot like professional athlete. There's a lot of bullshit uh, and negativity. So how can people... I can't imagine the grind of that, man. Yeah. I mean, it's very pro athlete like. I mean, very few people get it. I mean, right. like you said the NHL is, I believe, one in four thousand, and it's probably more something than like that. that. Yeah, it's probably yeah. more than that. Um, and in comedy, it's probably it might even be worse than that. To be honest with you, uh, yeah, there's a lot of unfunny people in my business. Um, <laughs> and most of them more successful than me. Uh, hey, I'll tell you what, if if I get down to LA again, which at some point I'm sure I will, I'll, I'll look you up and I'd love to to meet up for at least just to say hi. But hopefully you got some sort of gig and I'll come and I'll come and boo you in person. And what am I gonna do? Kick your ass? <laughs> no, but you can verbally abuse me. I'd be fine with that. Well, I will say a lot of the kings come to watch me, which is weird to me because I, I look at you guys as celebrities, like so uh but probably the funniest NHL player to Come watch me. It was uh, one night I'm at the comedy store performing, and that's the NHL for comics. Um, right. There's there's the comedy store, and then every everyone else. Uh, yeah. yeah. The, uh, Paul Bizanet in the crowd with a really hot girl. I mean, an L N, yeah. and I'm doing really well. Uh, and it's yeah. a good night, so it's a tough crowd. And he just raises his hand all of a sudden, and goes, "Hey, bro, you're really funny, but uh." I'm going to go fuck this girl. So can you get to your closer? Uh, <laughs> like, wow, this guy's insane. Um, Come on, he said that. 100%. And the girl was like kind of nodding like, yeah, we want to go have sex. So <laughs> my world. Um, but so what did you just say? Did... Well, I did a joke about, uh, you know, I, I think I said, I hope you have sex longer than most of your fights. And uh <laughs> That's good. That's good. I mean, you know, it's not the greatest line, but you know, it's given the environment, uh, it certainly. Totally, yeah, yeah. But that's funny. How can people sign up for your course? Where can people find you online? Uh, and uh, I guess plug away. Yeah, it's it's all my name. So website's aaronvolpatti.com. So the course info is on there. Um, I don't know if we really talked about it a ton, but you know, this visualization practice that I developed through through these experiences like we've talked about. But the cool part for me was I got to learn about some of this shit at Brown when I went there and the inner workings of the brain and just research and books I've read since then. Uh, they kind of all live together in this program that I created. And that, you know, for me, and I'm not the only one that's had, you know, these experiences with visualization. Obviously, there's tons and tons of people, athletes and non-athletes. Um, but at the end of the day, I'm like, I, and that's part of the book too. I was like, I can help people with this. Um, and, and I, it's called cinematic mind mapping. So that's really about like thinking about your movie or sorry, your life as a movie. And, and you get to be the director. You get a say in that, what that looks like. And, and in your mind, there's no limitations. You get to be whoever you want, which is a beautiful thing. Right. 
Um, and that can spill over into your daily life. And, and that's really what manifestation is, right? It's just slowly becoming that person that you want to be in the future, right? Um, so it's a 12-week program and it's really about, yeah, just adding scenes to your movie every week and, and visualizing and living in that reality every week. Uh, so that's on my website, uh, all my, my social media. I never had any of that stuff when I played. So I'm, I'm playing the game now, but, but it's all my name at Aaron Volpatti. So well, check it out. If you, if you want more info. Yeah. Well, please. And the by book, spider, the it, books on Amazon, that's probably the easiest place to get it. Um, some bookstores, but Amazon's probably the easiest as it is. Well, it's a great book. And you even include at the end, um, part of your visualization program, uh, yeah, so that's in the book as well. So so that is the 12-week program. Obviously, like the online stuff and and some of my one-on-one stuff is just it's a deeper dive into what what's in the book, but yeah, if you're interested there's there's definitely info on on the or in the book. Well, uh you should hit up Biz Nasty for social media. Uh the guy's a maniac on social media. Um but uh thank you so much Aaron for doing this. It it's like I said, I cried. I, I'm not going to, I mean, I'm 55 and I, I cried a few times in your book and, you know, just about your horrifying accident, the struggle to, to just get to Brown, then to the NHL, then your personal struggles with uh, your first child and, and, and turned out amazing. And your ex-wife is, you know, healthy and, and whatnot. And yeah, not that any divorce can be good, but you guys made it work for your child. And now you have a beautiful family and thank yeah, you man. for sharing. And, uh, if you're ever in LA, I'll do all hockey jokes. I'm going to need, yeah, yeah. I need someone to get some of the references. Cause, uh, <laughs> when I do a, uh, you know, George LaRock, Donald Brashear joke, they're lost. Um, so, um, thank you so much. I'll see what I can do. Please yeah. bring anyone who likes hockey because I bomb most nights when I hit the hockey material. And, Love it. Uh, yeah. I will see you soon. And uh, thank you so much. I really appreciate your time. Yeah, thanks, Earl. It was a pleasure, man. And uh, right. yeah, we'll, we'll chat. Keep in touch soon. Appreciate I will, it. For sure. I appreciate it very much. Thanks, man.